Hello and welcome to another edition of the Soccer Capital of America podcast series through Sporting Kansas City. We are going to get you ready now. It comes down to this, the third and final game of Group B, the United States versus Iran. Win and you're on to the knockout rounds. Anything else and this trip in the World Cup is over for the United States of America. We'll be down in the Power and Light District for yet another epic watch party on Tuesday at 1 o'clock. In the meantime, we'll get you ready for this game. We've got Chad Reynolds, Ali Trost-Martin, and Connell McCourt uh, with us. we got a lot to get to. We're going to have a special guest on the show coming up, Diego Gutierrez, sporting Kansas City broadcaster, former Kansas City Wizard, and member of the USSF, uh, the U.S. Soccer Federation team that is over in Qatar, the only city that is a host city in the uh, upcoming World Cup in the United States to have an events team on the ground in Qatar scouting out everything to see what we need to know for putting on a World Cup in Kansas City in four years. And Diego and his wife are a part of that. We're going to talk with Diego Gutierrez about the game, about what it's like being at the World Cup in Qatar, and all of the other stuff that's hanging over it. Guys, let's get right into it. Look, this is a big game. We all know that, and we'll get to the tactics and all that stuff in a moment. There's also this big cloud hanging over the whole thing, which is geopolitics, which is something that comes up every once in a while in these World Cup situations during particular matches. There's animosity between these two countries going back decades and decades, and it got turned up a little bit when the Soccer Federation, with a social media post the other day, had uh, images of the Iranian flag without the Islamic logo in the middle of it. And it sparked outrage according to the Iranian government. They are demanding that the United States be banned from uh, playing soccer for, with FIFA for 10 games, which we can scoff at that all we want. But what it did lead to was a bizarre, I guess you would call it, or at least really interesting news conference on Monday. We're recording this on a Monday. Monday morning, Greg Berhalter, Tyler Adams, uh, Walker Zimmerman, Tim Ream, actually part of the press conference reportedly cut short because of the tone of some of the questions from the Iranian media. I want to play one clip, guys, because this is the one that's making the most rounds. 23-year-old Captain Tyler Adams was scolded by an Iranian reporter for mispronouncing the name of the country and then asked questions about the history of the United States when it comes to race relations. Here was the question. Here was the answer from Tyler Adams. You say you support the Iranian people, but you're pronouncing our country's name wrong. Our country is named Iran, not Iran. Please, once and for all, let's get this clear. Second of all, um, are you okay to be representing a country that has so much discrimination against black people in its own borders? And uh, we saw the Black Lives Matter movement uh, over the past few years. My apologies on uh, the mispronunciation of your country. Um, yeah, that being said, you know, there's discrimination uh, everywhere you go. Um, you know, one thing that I've learned, especially from living abroad in the past years and uh, having to fit in in different cultures, is that in the U.S. we're, we're continuing to make progress uh, every single day. I grew up in a, in a white family with an obviously an African-American heritage and background as well. So um, I had a little bit of uh, different cultures and I, I was very, very easily able to assimilate in different different cultures. So, um, you know, not everyone has that that ease and uh, 
the ability to do that. And obviously it takes longer to understand. And through education, I think it's it's super important. Like you just educated me now on the pronunciation of, of your country. So um, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a process. I think as, as long as you see progress, uh, that's the most important thing. All right, guys. So, so Tyler Adams, at least by the American media, is being lauded for the way that he handled this, uh, you know, with composure, uh, with respect, uh, in a measured, honest type of answer all at the same time. Boy, there was a lot today. I'll start with you, Chad Reynolds. Um, does this stuff matter when it goes out onto the soccer field on Tuesday? Is that stuff just set aside once they step on the field and blow the whistle? How do you contextualize everything that is surrounding this game as we get ready? Uh, listen, once the whistle blows, these guys are going to play soccer. The, but where it comes down to is if that crowd is is as – you know, we think it'll probably be a 50-50 crowd on on uh, tomorrow, Tuesday, uh, given given what we've seen from the Iranian fans so far, given what we've seen from the U.S. fans. So if that crowd gets really loud, it can't help but to creep into the back of your mind, right? Um, that said, the, the, the whole thing was a bit of a gotcha press conference on purpose, and it probably should have been. Frankly, the Iranian people should be insulted by what happened with Jurgen Klinsmann earlier this week. I don't know if you guys followed any of that that story. Um, and, and so that, that started it. And then, you know, the thing with us soccer happened and, and I think it's a heck of a, a heck of a statement for us soccer to make. I, frankly, I support it. I think it's the right thing to do, but the geopolitical implications were large and massive and, and they've come back and, you know, that's not on Greg Berhalter. As he said, I'm a soccer coach. I don't follow politics that much. Tyler Adams handled it for my money about as best he possibly could. But, you know, ultimately, when the when the whistle blows, these guys are going to play soccer. What you hope happens is that the game is good enough and hopefully the U.S. gets out on the front foot enough so that they're not worried about that crowd coming into it late or, or, or becoming an impact. And I guess that maybe it's just fingers crossed that that's the point we get to. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just it's a complex thing because on one hand, there are things that are so much bigger than this World Cup and the sport of soccer, like human rights and standing up for things that are unjust is not only important, but usually how meaningful change is achieved. Now that said, the way in which this all went down with the U.S. posting the graphic without the Islam symbol and then removing that post shortly after, regardless of the reason, whether that was because they faced backlash or not, it just doesn't make this feel like a well-thought-out method of protest, especially given that coach Greg Berhalter and the players were not consulted on this decision. And they're the ones who have to face these questions in the press conferences and face whatever might come on the field Tuesday or after the match from the media or from the, the, the players of Iran. I think that this team has shown in how they've handled not only these press conferences, but other moments where they've needed to rise to the occasion on or off the field and display a maturity that not many other people their age or with their experiences have, you know, has shown that they can handle adversity in these tough situations with grace and poise. But my belief is that they should have been able to make that choice for themselves instead of being thrown into the fire a bit by decisions that were just completely out of their control. And now, even though they've you know, been walked back, are, are still very present and, like I said, dominating the headlines around this match now on Tuesday. Um, I, honestly, I think it's a bit of a PR disaster from 
from the US's point of view, this entire and the Klinsman thing is its own thing because I don't know if US soccer wants to be anything to do with Jurgen Klinsman, but he is forever going to be intertwined with the US because he's been the coach. Yep. And so no matter what he says, it's going to always come back on the US. And whether that's right or not, I actually don't think it is right. I don't think he represents the US men's national team at all. Um, but the thing about the flag, it is what it is, obviously, that they put it out. But I think you have just written the team talk for Iran in the, the changing rooms there. Like, that is the way they'll be feeling, I'm sure, is, okay, yeah, all this stuff, all the civil unrest and stuff and the protests that are going on in their country, we don't need the US to be telling us what it, what we should be feeling about this type of thing. So I think that's going to be, there's going to be fire in the belly of the Iranians come out in this game. I just think it's, I think it's unfair on the US team, honestly, because as Ali said, as far as we know, that decision was made without the consultation of the team or the coach. So it was just put out there and now it's going to be hanging on the wall of the dressing room of the, and this is going to be about, well, look at this, the, look at how they feel about us type of thing. That's the right in their team talk for them. But the, as soon as you cross the white line, you just have to hope that I think the U.S. has the better team. They're going to go out and outplay Iran and go through. But I just think that there's a lot of stuff going into it that the U.S. didn't need, the team didn't need, and now it's kind of been thrust upon them by, by either the social media team or ex-coaches. Yeah, I think that's that's uh, very well said, Connell. And and I think that basically this this young group of Americans are are being tested in many ways during this World Cup. They were tested this last game to see can you really play real soccer with one of the with the powerhouses. And I think they actually passed that test. Now one of the tests is going to be can you block out all of it? Can you block out all of the noise surrounding it? Can you set that all aside and focus on the task at hand? And also, can you rise up to the occasion against a team that's going to be absolutely flying at you in the course of this game in terms of the motivation? We know there's going to be no problem for the Iranians to uh, be motivated for this game, and we're going to find out. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Diego Gutierrez, he is in Qatar. He has been with the men's national team, with the families, had Thanksgiving dinner with the families. We're going to get his thoughts on the way this World Cup's coming off, what he's learning about what's going to have to happen in Kansas City to pull off a successful World Cup, and also what's going to have to happen for the United States to get that win on Tuesday afternoon against Iran. That's straight ahead on the Soccer Capital of America podcast series. And we are back on this special edition of the Soccer Capital of the United States podcast series as we get ready for a win or go home uh, scenario for the United States of America, as if there wasn't enough riding on it. Now geopolitical uh, issues are getting involved as well as the United States will take on Iran on Tuesday at one o'clock. And we'll of course have another amazing watch party in the power and light district. And to join us now to talk about all of this amazing stuff is, is from Qatar. One of our good buddies, of course, uh, former Kansas City Wizard and member uh, broadcaster for Sporting Kansas City now, among many other things and hats that he wears, uh, and a man who's now working with the U.S. Soccer Federation over in Qatar, Diego Gutierrez, joins us. And uh, people can't see us because we're doing an audio podcast, but he's got American flags 
over each shoulder. He's got one uh, draped from the wall behind him. He's wearing a USA soccer t-shirt, looking very patriotic today. Diego, how are you, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Nate. Hello to everyone. It's, uh, it's been a, quite an interesting trip, especially the last 48 hours for sure. Well, we'll get into those 48 hours here in just a second, but why don't you let us know what it is you're doing over in Qatar, what capacity you're working in with uh, the United States Soccer Federation? Yeah, we, we had an opportunity to come out and uh, uh, sort, of, sort of do uh, an observational trip um, ahead of 2026 where um, you know my wife's company was uh, wanting to be proactive, especially as it pertains to the marketing side of, of our bid, right? And so uh, wanting to be uh, very hands-on, uh, we decided to make the trip. Uh, I've been, uh, of course, in discussions with the Federation on collaboration of, uh, of um, you know, research topics as a, as, a, as a business professor. There are a lot of different business questions that are, that are quite interesting. A lot, of, a lot of things are still unanswered, right? Um, that, uh, that, that, that we're curious about ahead of, uh, of, of our hosting of 2026. So um, I got the privilege to accompany uh, the, the, the friends and family program and, and be with, uh, with the players' families and friends of the Federation. And so um, we've been out uh, just collecting information and, and observing and, and looking at the you know, many different aspects of, of the business side of this uh, Qatar World Cup, uh, but also, of course, enjoying all the games and, and enjoying uh, everything that the has to offer. So you're spending a lot of time with the family members of the players. What has that experience been like? Well, it's been great. I mean, everybody here, as you can imagine, I mean, I'm draped in, in, uh, in uh, red, white, and blue. Um, you can imagine if your son is, is, is out there on the field, right? So moms, dads, you know, extended family, a lot of people that are here, uh, friends of the, of the Federation, donors, you know, stakeholders throughout um, are here accompanying this group. And, and it's been such a, such a great experience to see the level of support and love. Uh, we've been able to spend time with the players. We ate Thanksgiving uh, dinner together with the players. Uh, the players, you know, they feel supported. They're a happy group. I've gotten a glimpse and got an opportunity to talk to a lot of the guys. And, and it's really a united group, which, you know, looking into a game uh, uh, of this magnitude tomorrow just gives me a great deal of comfort. Diego, this is uh, this is such an interesting tournament. From a you know, a, we'll we'll get into some of the geopolitical stuff here in a little bit. Sure. But but first off, have you been to a World Cup before? Have you been as a as a guest before? Not not never never as a fan. Never never in this in this capacity. No. That's kind of cool. So I mean, I, I I guess I can't ask like, how do you compare this? But this being your first experience. And it being such a unique World Cup with the the size of the country, and and then you tack on the geopolitical side of it, um, you know, what's it like to walk into this as your very first World Cup experience? <laughs> it's very different. I mean, uh, Chad, the thing is, this this feels like a World Cup, a World Cup but at the same time, it doesn't. No? It, it almost feels like an Olympics, right? Every stadium around here is uh, within forty five minutes of one another. In fact, you can see some stadiums from from the other one, right? And so you can see them, the, everything is so close. The city uh, is, is unbelievable. Everything is so advanced, the infrastructure, pretty much everything is brand new, right? Everything is 10 years old or less. And so you enjoy, for example, riding in the Metro and you, you enjoy the malls, you enjoy all the different cultures sort of uh, coming down on, and, and, and colliding in the city. And it brings such a festival uh, environment 
um, that, I mean, you can't help but enjoy it. Uh, for me, it's um, it's been a pleasure to enjoy it, not as a, as a player, right? Uh, despite the fact that I never took a part in a, in a World Cup, I did take part in qualifiers. I, I got a taste of the international scene, so I kind of knew uh, what it was like. But this is very, very different. And to be able to experience it from the inside out, right, uh, from the, you know, together with the group, together with the players, the, with the families, with the executives, from a business perspective, it just gives me a wholesome perspective that, that I truly appreciate. All right, so Diego, take us into the stadium. What was it like watching USA Wales and USA England? You know, we get a little bit of a glimpse watching on TV, but just inside the stadium, how would you describe the atmosphere as an American fan? I, I can tell you that the, the level of the American support is massive. I mean, I would say probably 60-65% of the stadium in the Wales game was U.S.-based. It was, it was all U.S. fans, right? Um, for, you know, to, to, number one, the stadia here is absolutely ridiculous. It's something that I've never seen before. I've been in Europe. I've been, in, you know, we have incredible stadiums in the States as well, but the level of technology, the level of, of luxury, of detail that we are seeing in the stadiums right now, um, it's almost like incorporating a culture into the architecture of the place. And it brings a completely different meaning to what it means to go into a stadium. Right. And so, for example, the Wales game for me, it was just uh, an absolute shock to see um, a, a stadium that, uh, that that was number one, 65 percent American. But also you bring the architecture, you went the, the you bring the, the, the importance of the game, wanting to get three points, which we almost had. Uh, it was it was amazing. The England game, of course, uh, it was it was absolutely amazing. And I've got an opportunity also uh, to go and watch other games. I watched the, the, the Mexico Argentina game which was breathtaking, absolutely breathtaking, probably one of the top three uh, um, sporting events that I've ever, that I've ever heard, I've ever seen, I've ever experienced, right? We Was that crowd as, as lit in the stadium as it seemed on TV? That's one of the best TV viewing experiences I've ever had. I can, I can tell you, Chad, um, I've been deep in Arrowhead moments when the Chiefs are at their loudest. I've never heard a stadium as raucous, as loud, as passionate, Two these two national teams going against one another. Now, mind you, the game wasn't particularly great, but the environment was absolutely outstanding. Have you guys seen that clip of, of Andres Cantor's call of, of Messi's goal where he, he's got to put his hands over his own headphones because he can't hear anything going on in the stadium? It, it was, it's amazing. Listen, I had my Apple watch on, not to plug Apple, but on the podcast or anything, but it went off like five or six times warning me about the decibel levels. Right? Wow. It, it was absolutely mind-blowing. Diego, uh, the game, the next game coming up, I know you said you've been to the Wales and the USA game. I'm sure Iran will have a lot of support uh, in the stadium come uh, the game tomorrow. How do you expect the U.S. to approach the game, first of all? The first two games they've kind of They've been high energy, pressing, fluid football at times versus uh, England and Wales. Do you expect them to adopt the same style of play or do you expect them to be a little more cautious considering everything that's on the line? Kind of, I was very pleased to see the U.S. come out uh, playing toe-to-toe -to -toe against an English team that, um, I mean, was was coming you know, off a very big victory and in, in, in a very confident manner. Um 
one of the things that I got to chat with the guys about, you, you know, with some of some of the players, I've had great moments with Weston McKinney, for example, and just talking about his experiences in Europe and, 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 and now with the national team. And I can tell you, this is a kid that is absolutely confident. He doesn't think about twice. It's almost like his not being here before is a benefit because he doesn't know exactly what to fear. He's fearless in that sense, right? And his confidence and his uh, his swagger, uh, I think this some of some of these elements we've been missing uh, on the international scene for a long time, right? And now you know guys like Clint Dempsey and Clint Mathis before him have brought that to the table. Now we're seeing it with guys like Weston and, and Christian and, and and guys like Brandon Aronson at a much earlier age, right? And the international game is a very very young game. For me, I think that what we're going to see is a lot more of what we saw against England, a confident team that comes out to play, a team that knows that, listen, at the end of the day, it's about scoring goals. The other team needs a tie. It's about breaking down those blocks, being able to find seams in between lines, being able to get out you know, with some, some nice white play. I would anticipate either Serginho or, or Anthony Robinson are going to be very aggressive, going to be very involved. And there's going to be a lot of responsibility on those center backs, on Tyler Adams to, to, to hold the fort. We're visiting with Diego Gutierrez, and this is just fantastic, talking to, to one of our own, another one of our Kansas Cityans who is, is in Qatar with the national team, with the federation, with the families, Thanksgiving dinner. Boy, I, I want to hear more about Thanksgiving dinner, honestly. There's so much to talk about, but and, and I want to talk soccer. I really do. But, boy, hanging over this whole thing, Diego, is a long, sordid history between these two countries, the United States and Iran. And it got turned up a little bit when the Federation uh, altered the flag of Iran on some of the posts that they put out. Iran has come out and made some, some strong statements. And the reason that I feel like we have to talk about it, we played the comments earlier in the show you talk about the, I, I love your comment about the, these young players that they almost don't know what to fear. And that's one of the reasons I've been so optimistic about this team. I think that sometimes youth can be a benefit when it comes to, to high stakes situations like this. But all of a sudden you got a 23 year old captain, Tyler Adams, who's sitting up at, at a press conference, getting scolded by Iranian media for mispronouncing the name of the country, being asked how he feels as an African-American to represent this country considering the history that the country has in mistreating black people um, and, and, and other questions about uh, why there's a naval ship close to Iran and why the United States is doing all these sorts of things. And I'm just curious from your perspective as and you're, you're a, a very, you're, I mean, you're, a, you're one of the more enlightened people that I talk to on, on a lot of subjects what what is that going to be like for these guys? Like, does that can they just set all that aside and go play a soccer game on Tuesday, or does that add a different level of weight to what they're carrying out onto the field against Iran? That's a great question, Nate. I, I have to think, <laughs> as a fan, I like to think that these guys have such broad shoulders that they can hand they can handle any kind of pressure. The reality is, though, that um, they are young men. They are, they are men that, that are well-traveled. They understand what being an American is like. They've likely faced a, a lot of adversity in whatever market they've been playing in. Um, but they're also very well-trained and very smart. These are clever young men that if they're playing at this level, it's because they bring a level of intelligence and a level of maturity 
that uh, a lot of guys simply don't possess. You look at a guy like Tyler Adams, I couldn't think of a better player to handle a question like this in that specific moment, right? I also have to give credit to the Federation, guys like Michael Cameron with, with the Federation. We, you, you have to think and you know, in fact, I know that there are briefings about exactly what's happening, what's going on, so that these guys are not just basically thrown to the sharks. They're actually prepared when they step behind that podium to give a prepared answer, right? And so... Um, like I said, I, I think that um, even guys that have grown up a lot of the time overseas, they understand what it means to wear this jersey. They understand what this moment in time means. They, of course, understand and have the background of, of, of politically what has been happening. Uh, for me, um, I think that Greg has done a great job in preparing these, this group of young men and just simply concentrating on playing. And I think that's what we're going to see tomorrow. On this match, we saw Iran come out in a five-man back line against England, try to sit, just basically park that bus, and they got shredded. And they especially got shredded, obviously, when they had to start chasing the game and they opened it up a little bit. They had no, they clearly had no defensive shape once they opened up. Then against Wales, they came out in, let's call it a more traditional 4-3-3, and looked more solid than they were when they were trying to defend the whole time. What do you expect Carlos Queiroz to come out? I, I, I mean, maybe one of the most unpredictable managers in the history of his career. And then over the last like five, six years or a decade or whatever, one of the most predictable managers. And now I don't know what to expect going into this match against the U.S. Are they going to go for it? Or do you think they're going to sit and just try to play for the draw? This kind of match is especially in, you know, the third match of group play when both teams or both, both matches are going on at the same time. There's no advantage of, 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 uh, of hindsight, right? You don't get to see in, 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 uh, what the other teams are doing. Um, I have to believe that Carlos Carroche will probably go out again, five in the back. We'll try to wait for the game. We'll let the game settle for the first 10 or 15 minutes. And after that, maybe he'll make a tactical adjustment, you know, depending on how he feels the game is going and how he can explain some of the gaps that perhaps the U.S. might be, might be – uh, might be getting, you know, putting out there. Um, my hope is, of course, that, that that we're able to come out very confident like we did against England, establish some wide play, establish some great midfield play. For me, you know, talking with some of the guys and um, the first half in England, uh, of the England game, probably the first 25 minutes and another stretch, a 10-minute stretch, was for me some of the cleanest football that we've played in a very long time. Very confident, the reactions when we lost the ball were very aggressive. We got the ball right off the bat. We were able to hold long times of possession. That's what I'd like to see, and that's what I anticipate on Tuesday. How uh, Iran is going to respond? Well, we saw what the, what they did, uh, you know, in the game that they did win, right? It's a game that this is a team that counters very, very well. So, like I said previously, I think the responsibility will fall upon our center backs to to keep us organized and and, and Tyler putting out some fires. And the midfield play, of course, uh, you know, making sure that we react when the ball turns over. Diego, the big question, though, is what about up top? Where are the goals going to come from uh, for this United States team? They've got one goal in this tournament so far and really did struggle at, at times against Wales to break down that low block with that one goal coming in transition. So, you know, without maybe singling out as uh, one player individually, you know, where do you see the goals coming from for this United States team? That's a great question, Ali. And, you know, when you look at the composition of the roster, I think that 
I, I, well, I don't know how many people in our entire country would have predicted this 26 group of player, right? Uh, I don't know how many people would have predicted Haji Wright over Ricardo Pepe or, you know, um, Josh over somebody else. I mean, the, the striker uh, body, uh, I think it almost, you almost get a feel that when the roster came out, it was something that was kind of, uh, let's score by committee. Right, not one guy that was going to be responsible to do it all, but perhaps from game to game things were going to change. We've seen that in the last couple of games without any results. Um, we have to find a way to do it. I'm not sure who the guy is going to be. I'm not sure if Haji's going to start again. I'm not sure if Josh is going to get the start. I don't know what's going to happen. Who's Jesus Ferreira? I've talked to Jesus. He's, he's chomping at the bit to get the opportunity to come in. Um, this is going to be a very unpredictable game. I can't, I mean, I've predicted a score before. I was at an engagement at, at a party uh, yesterday where they asked me, what do you think the score is going to be? And I had to say it on a microphone. I felt like I was jinxing the team, so I don't want to say it out loud. But my hope, of course, is that we're able to put the ball in the back of the net the first 10, 15 minutes, make uh, Iran come out and play. That way we can find some spaces. We can knock the ball like we're used to. Diego, how do you think the climate over there uh, in Qatar is affecting more more so the European teams? It seems, I don't know, I thought England look, looked a bit leggy against the US, especially in the second half. Wales, I think, were, were suffering from it as well. Do you think the climate in Qatar is going to affect, obviously, the US and Iran will be, they're kind of used to this, but the further the, the tournament progresses, do you think that'll start to take its toll on more so the European sides? I don't think so. I, I really don't think so. I haven't been here. Um, I anticipated that the heat was going to be a, a lot more drastic. I anticipated that it was going to be sticky or muggy or humid. Actually, it's really pleasant outside most of the time. At night, you're looking at, you know, anywhere from especially 10 o'clock games, you know, in within our group um, have been, you know, 75, 78 degrees. And within the stadiums, if you might you might notice that I'm a little I'm a little stuffed up, the air conditioning within the stadiums is incredible, and so I mean it's blasting all the time. So I don't think the temperature has really affected unless you're playing the what we call here the one o'clock game or the four o'clock game, which for you guys would be the the early morning games. Um, the heat is not really an issue, right? And by the way, heat wasn't an issue for England in the first game. Hey, Diego, we really appreciate the time. Again, we've been visiting with Diego Gutierrez, and I've got a couple final questions for you before we let you go. And number one is, you described that the United States showing has been really good in the stands through the first couple of games. But we also know that the Middle Eastern countries that are right there near Qatar have really turned up for these games. And and with the, the angst and everything hanging over, Iran and the United States, what type of atmosphere are you anticipating inside this stadium on Tuesday? Um, it, it's going to be very interesting. Um, I frankly, you know, I know, uh, for example, that we are, as a group, going to be getting a briefing, a security briefing, just to make sure that everything goes smoothly. Uh, so far, I've seen uh, very, very little conflict. You know, typically in World Cups, you see, you see, um, you know, some fans acting a little bit crazy. Perhaps the fact that there's not a whole lot of alcohol anywhere around here has tamed things down quite a bit, right? Uh, but at the same time, within the stadium, you don't see the the conflicts or or the 
the disturbances that you sometimes see. Um, but tomorrow's a little bit different. Tomorrow's is, uh, is something where th these are two very important countries throughout the world that um, occupy um, a, an interesting space politically. I don't know what it's going to be like in the stands. I know, obviously, that there's a, a lot of Iran fans here. There's a lot of U.S. fans here as well. So the composition, I would say, probably going to be maybe 50-50, maybe 60-40 towards Iran. There's a, there are a lot of Iran fans here that I've seen, uh, and they're very enthusiastic, especially after the result that they got last time around. Okay, my last thing for you then, Diego, since we'll, we'll bring it back full circle. You're, you're there with the U.S. Soccer Federation, and you are there – to help us get Kansas City ready for this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity in four years. I was having a great conversation with my 10-year-old daughter. She asked me, Dad, are we going to go to the World Cup games when they're in America, when they're in Kansas City? And I said, sweetheart, I don't know how much it's going to cost me, but this is never happening again in our lifetime, the, the World Cup being in Kansas City. So we're going to do whatever it takes you know, to get there. And you're, you're one of these people that's, that's, that you're there trying to help us get ready for that moment, that opportunity. Have you had, can you give us a takeaway or two, maybe something that you've learned about the World Cup or what they're doing right in Qatar or wrong or whatever that uh, is a big takeaway to, to bring back to Kansas City? Well, I can tell you we have learned that it's going to be a very different, very different experience, especially as it pertains to our city, right? The infrastructure levels here are, are far superior. They have, for starters, they – the city is very young. You have a ton of room. You have all kinds of spaces where you can grow and build. We don't necessarily have that, right? For us to, for example, widen a road, um, it takes a process. It, it takes a lot. Um, so there are be, there will be some preparations. There will, there will be some limitations, but there will also be some great opportunities um, for, for us to really highlight what, what our city is about. I can tell you that it, it's going to take everybody. It's not just going to be the executive committee. It's not just going to be, you know, the entities that are going to be involved or the city of Kansas City or, or bilateral Kansas-Missouri uh, effort. It's going to take a whole lot of people, a whole lot of companies, a whole lot of, uh, of institutions to come together for us to really put our best foot forward. What I dream of seeing in 2026 is a Kansas City metro in the Midwest region that is, that is united towards really making sure that we understand what this part of the country is about. We're no longer flyover country, right? Let's understand that if we got the World Cup bid, it's because there is something of relevance about us, our, our, our football, our soccer culture, um, that who we are as people, how we've come together, how we've been able to sort of weave this into who we are and who we want to be. And that's exactly what we're trying to highlight. So one of the takeaways for me is going to be every single city is going to be different. Uh, when it comes to 2026, it's a great opportunity for us to now take, take a leap into the future that, that frankly, uh, uh, cities seldom get the opportunity to do. Well, you got me excited. Chad, you got one more? One last quick question, Diego. That said, I mean, Kansas City standing up on the global stage. Did you guys see, you guys in Qatar, did you see the footage of the watch parties here in Kansas City, especially from Friday? Did that make it its way over there? Oh, yeah. It's been seen. Uh, I can tell you there are people that are very, very interested uh, in, in what we're going to do. Uh, I've spoken to, to locals who are interested about, you know, what it is that we want to highlight culturally, what it is that Kansas City is about. In fact, uh, we have a friend 
who had lunch with the prime minister of Qatar, who was basically asking about the city of Kansas City and how that was going to that was going to unfold, right? Our levels of infrastructure, our stadium, things of that nature. They're very curious about what's what's going to happen, how they rate and how they compare with what what uh, what they have here, but at the same time, how the U.S. is going to step up and and, and put our, its best foot forward. Well, that's really exciting to hear. And I mean, I guess there's a similarity there. Qatar wanted this World Cup to put themselves on the map. I think there's a lot of us that didn't really know anything about Qatar before this World Cup. We're learning about it uh, day by day. And there's a lot of people that don't know anything about Kansas City that are that are already learning by seeing some of this footage. And then in four years from now, they'll learn even more. Diego, you got me fired up, too. One thing we know about Kansas City, we will come together. You know, we represent and, and we're doing it right now. We'll all be gathered down in the Power and Light District again tomorrow. You'll be there in the stadium. And I can't wait to hear all the stories from you when you get back. Thanks for everything you're doing for, for us in Kansas City and for U.S. soccer. And thanks for taking some time with us today. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Love spending time with you. All right. That is Diego Gutierrez. He is on the ground in Qatar. He'll be in the stadium for this big win or go home scenario for the United States of America. We'll be back to give our predictions, make our picks to kick, and also talk about maybe who each one of us will start at the number nine. That seems to be the evergreen question every single one of these games so far as we continue with our Soccer Capital of America podcast series right after this. And we're back to wrap things up after a terrific conversation with Diego Gutierrez. Could have gone on and on and on with uh, Diego, but uh, we'll have to just do another uh, recap with him maybe once the World Cup is over. Let's now, guys, move on to our thoughts about this game, United States versus Iran. And the big question is, how's America going to score? Right? They, they've got to score, and you think the earlier they score in this game, the better it will be uh, for their chances to move on. And so let's start with the first question. Chad, who starts up top as your number nine? Greg Berhalter was asked if he's thought about your idea of putting uh, Tim Weah or, or Gio Reyna, some kind of false nine up there. He says he's going to stick with the number nines that they brought in. So I'm, I'm holding you to those guys. Who's your guy to start up there for this one? I hope that's coach speak and not wanting to give anything away, but I don't think it is. I do think that Greg Berhalter is going to stick with the nines. I think he's going to go Ferreira in this match. We've seen Haji Wright be largely, largely ineffective. We see Josh Sargent have a couple of moments, but be largely ineffective in this match. When you know, you're going to have to break down a bunker and you think you assume you're going to have to break down a bunker to Ron team who only needs a draw to get through. I think you're going to look to put somebody in there who's going to pull players out of position more and create more opportunity for movement amongst your front four, five, six, whatever it ends up being in the attack. Very similar to what Harry Kane did for England. Harry Kane dropped super deep. Nate, you and I commented on it over and over Friday watching that match together. So I think Ferreira and what he brings being able to help facilitate, it probably means he's the guy rather than a traditional big body or a traditional Renault go at you number nine striker. So I'm going to go with Ferreira. And then a lot of this is going to come down to the midfield and the movement behind and those late runs into the box and, and all that kind of stuff. But let's go Ferreira right now. Uh, what about you, Allie? I, I kind of agree with you because I do think that the best way for the U.S. to break down the slow block is, is to have some more of that movement. And as we saw against Wales at times, it just seemed to be a bit ineffective. And if you can have a number nine who's going to drop a little bit deeper, who can who can do some of that link up in combination play to hopefully open up more spaces for 
two players that I think are going to be big in this game and Christian Pulisic and Tim Weah to to make those runs. I, Tim Weah is my player in this game. You know, whether he's playing at the nine or out wide, I, I don't think he will play at the nine. And I don't think that Greg Berhalter is blowing smoke by saying that. I guess we'll find out tomorrow. Um, but I think what you do is you find the player that's going to open things up for your wingers the best. And I do think that Jesus Ferreira dropping, dropping deep and playing between the lines uh, is going to, to give the U.S. that best chance. Now, my only concern would just be the fact that you know, do, do you go with someone who maybe has a little bit more um, experience in this World Cup? Do you go with the Josh Sargent? I, there's just so much on, on this game. Not that I think that you bring any player that you don't trust to put into the match, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's almost like you need the number nine to really just be the person who's maybe not going to be your hero and scoring the goals, but the one who's going to best set up the best players that you have on the field. And, and those players just so happen to be out on the wings and, and in those attacking mid roles. Uh, I think this next game, I think we'll find out a lot about Bearhalter as a coach. Um, because I'd honestly, I don't know who he's going to play. Um, Sargent started the first game, the biggest game in years. He started Haji Wright, who has, wasn't even really much. He was a bit part player in the qualifiers. If he plays Ferrer, then he's a bit more of a methodical coach than I'm kind of giving him credit for at the minute because I honestly think the jury's still out. Some of the decisions he's made this tournament have kind of raised a couple of eyebrows. And in like the, I was just looking at stats last night. The last eight qualifiers that they played, eight qualifiers, pardon me, that they've played, uh, Jesus Ferrer started three of them and came off the bench on the other three. So or in three and then didn't come off a bench in two of them. So he kind of seemed to be the guy who was favoring coming into the tournament. He played one of the last two friendlies before the tournament. And so I don't know, was he the guy coming in and then now he hasn't seen a minute. So who, I don't really know what to think about that. Honestly, I think he might start Haji, right? Because if he thought he was good enough to start him in the England game, then he must be the guy who he thinks is, is uh, is the better the best chance to get a, a goal, especially against a sturdy defense. And from the England game and even the Wales game, I think Iran's their biggest weaknesses were from crosses coming into the box. And I think that's more suited to the likes of a Haji Raid to play a bigger, unorthodox type of type of frame to, to defend. So I honestly don't really know who he's gonna play or what way he's gonna play, but if I, I think I would be leaning more towards Haji Raid than Ferrer just because he hasn't really shown any faith in Ferreira at all this entire tournament. Well, I want to see Ferreira. I, I do. I, I still want to see Ricardo Pepe, but I, I realize once <laughs> again, he's still not available. Um, so Ferreira's to me, I, I'm with you guys. I First of all, I just haven't seen enough from the other two guys to tell me, yeah, you got to start them. And I do think Ferreira brings something a little bit different. He's shown he can play the false nine in the past and he can play uh, you know, underneath the striker, which shows he can combine. I think it's going to take some combination play to really break down that low block. And I just think he, and he also does have a little bit of a knack for getting on the end of balls inside the penalty area. And he's going to be chopping at the bit. So that's what I would like to see. Let's go to but our Nate, picks. To ki- oh, go ahead. Nate, go ahead. Sorry, just before that. So if he does go into this game and starts Ferrer, that means he's played three different games and started three different strikers. Do you, would you credit him in that way and saying that he, he can play different ways or does that kind of scream a green manager who doesn't actually know his best team? It screams to me that he doesn't have a true number nine, yep. you know, which is the truth. He, he's got a whole bunch of candidates, 
you know, it, it's 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 like the old adage in American football: if you if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one, right? Like you and and they they got a bunch of guys that got promise. They got a bunch of guys that have shown they can score uh, in certain leagues, but not at the one of the big five leagues in the world. And, and so they're just, there has, I, I think he's trying to find something that fits. That's why I'm surprised that Pepe's not there because I thought he actually did perform pretty well with the national team, but he went on that stretch for a year where he didn't score a goal for club or country. So it's hard for me to be like super mad at him. How could you not pick that guy? Well, you know, th- there's just, there's not a clear cut answer there. And so um, I, I actually give Burhalter a little bit of credit for the fact that he's not just sticking with one blindly and saying, we're this is our guy and we're just going to go with him and ride. And maybe that would be better. Maybe if he did, that somebody would catch some traction there. But I think he realizes clearly he's shown at every other position on the field. He's got faith in those guys. He started the same lineup two games in a row. Why would he have any faith in any one of these number nines? That's, that's where I come down. Okay, guys, we got we got quickly. Let's go around and do our pick to kick now. Who's going to score that? Who's going to be the hero, Chad Reynolds, and score that goal for the United States to get them onto the knockout rounds? I'm uh, of two minds, but I'm going to go with Weston McKinney. Big game player, big game. This is his time to step in. I, I love his late arriving runs. Those are super important in a match like this against Iran in a bunker. Weston McKinney is the hero who gets the United States into the next round. Allie. Going with my original pick ahead of the the Wales game, Christian Pulisic, I, I do think, um, you know, that he's going to to find his stride in this game. And if the offense is maybe able to learn so learn from some of the things that they experienced in that Wales game when it comes to how to successfully break down a low block, I do think Christian Pulisic and just his on-the-ball dribbling ability, or, uh, the way he can eliminate guys and get himself in position to, to fire off a good shot, uh, he was so close against England with that one off the off the post or off the crossbar. So uh, I'm going to go with Captain America, Christian Pulisic. Well, not Captain America, but you know, Christian Pulisic. Tyler Adams is our is our Captain America for the time being. But he's still that's still his nickname, though, right? I think we'll allow that. They still yeah, call him yeah, Captain America, don't they? Word, does I? Like the words came out of my mouth. I was yeah. like, <laughs> Captain America, Christian Pulisic. We'll call it that. Yep. Go ahead, Connell. Um, well, I'm going to go a bit outside the box, um, not literally, because I think the goal will come from inside the box, a set piece. Uh, I think it's going to be a header, Walker Zimmerman, the redemption arc. You on... son of a gun, you, Connell. That was, I was thought Did I was going to be completely different and go with that. Sorry, you, mate. You well, I, I think, sorry, let, <laughs> well, <laughs> mate, great, great minds and all that, right? Yeah. The, I think it's going to come down to early on in the game, there's going to be a lot of set pieces, a lot of corners, a lot of free kicks outside the box. I think Zimmerman, German, you're going into the belly of the beast. It's going to be a lot of Iranian fans. I don't know if it'll be 50, 50. It's going to be a lot of pressure on. I think Zimmerman's going to raise the occasion like uh, Rocky against Ivan Drago and Rocky four. Uh, and uh, he's going to pull it out for the U S and get it going. Man, I was, that was going to be my call. I was going to go Zimmerman uh, for the header. I love that shout. But uh, since Connell stole it from me, Right at the death here. I uh, I'll, I'll go a little outside the box. So I'll go Jesus Ferreira. This is a that's a bold call because I don't even know if he's going to play. <laughs> he hasn't played yet, but uh, maybe he's going to get that uh, that opportunity from Greg Berhalter, and he'll make the most of it because I know you know we heard from Diego. He's chomping at the bit to get out there. So Jesus Ferreira is my guy, 
and uh, we'll see if the United States can get a win. Again, watch party Tuesday, 1 o'clock in the Power and Light District. Download your tickets, get them for free, and let's uh, let's have some fun. It all comes down to this on Tuesday. Of course, we'll have the post-match reaction on our Twitter Spaces page. Just follow Soccer Capital KC on Twitter. We'll do all that for you as well. Chad Reynolds, Ali Trost, Martin, Connell McCourt, and our special guest, Diego Gutierrez. This is Nate Bucati saying so long from this edition of the Soccer Capital of America podcast series. And go USA! I'm just, I'm just a nervous wreck.